Chapter Four of the Big Time by Fritz Leiber. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Karen Savage. Chapter Four. De Bailace, Fresca, Mrs. Camel, whirled beyond the circuit of the shuddering bear in fractured atoms. Elliot. S.O.S. from nowhere. I realized the piano had deserted Eric, and I cranked my head up and saw Beau, Maud, and Sid streaking for the control divan. The major maintainer was blinking emergency green and fast, but the code was plain enough for even me to recognize the spider distress call, and for a second I felt just sick. Then Eric blew out his reserve breath in the middle of door, and I gave myself another of those helpful mental boots at the base of the spine, and we hurried after them toward the center of the place along with Mark. The blinks faded as we got there, and Sid told us not to move because we were making shadows. He glued an eye to the telltale, and we held still as statues as he caressed the dials like he was making love. One sensitive hand flicked out past the introversion switch over to the minor maintainer, and right away the place was dark as your soul, and there was nothing for me but Eric's arm and the knowledge that Sid was nursing a green light I couldn't even see, although my eyes had plenty time to accommodate. Then the green light finally came back very slowly, and I could see the dear reliable old face, the green-gold beard making him look like a merman, and then the telltale flared bright, and Sid flicked on the place lights, and I leaned back. That nails them, lads, whoever and whenever they may be. Get ready for a pickup. Beau, who was closest, of course, looked at him sharply. Sid shrugged uneasily. Meseemed at first it was from our own globe a thousand years before our Lord, but that indication flickered and faded like witchfire. As it is, the call comes from something smaller than the place, and certs adrift from the cosmos. Meseemed, too, at one point I knew the fist of the caller, an antipodean atomicist named Benson Carter, but that likewise changed. Beau said, We are not in the right phase of the cosmos plays' rhythm for a pickup, are we, sir? Sid answered, Ordinarily not, boy. Beau continued, "'I didn't think we had any pickups scheduled, or standby orders.' Sid said, "'We haven't.' Mark's eyes glowed. He tapped Eric on the shoulder. "'An Octavian denarius against ten Reichsmarks. It is a snake-trap.' Eric's grin showed his teeth. "'Make it first through the door next operation, and I'm on.' It didn't take that to tell me things were serious, or the thought that there's always a first time for bumping into something from really outside the cosmos. The snakes have broken our code more than once. Maud was quietly serving out weapons, and Doc was helping her. Only Bruce and Lily stood off, but they were watching. The telltale brightened. Sid reached toward the maintainer, saying, "'All right, my hearties. Remember, through this doorway passed the fishiest finaglers in and out of the cosmos.' The door appeared to the left, and above where it should be, and darkened much too fast. There was a gust of stale salt sea-wind, if that makes sense, but no stepped-up changed winds, I could tell. And I had been bracing myself against them. The door got inky, and there was a flicker of grey fur whips, and a flash of copper flesh and gilt, and something dark, and a clump of hoofs, and Eric was sighting a stun-gun across his left forearm, and then the door had vanished like that, and a tentacled silvery lunan and a Venusian satyr were coming straight toward us. The Lunan was hugging a pile of clothes and weapons. The satyr was helping a wasp-waisted woman carry a heavy-looking bronze chest. The woman was wearing a short skirt and high-collared bolero jacket of leather so dark brown it was almost black. 
She had a two-horned Petsofa hairdress, and was boldly gilded here and there, and wore sandals and copper anklets and wristlets, one of them a copper-plated collar, and from her wide copper belt hung a short-handled double-headed axe. She was dark-complexioned, and her forehead and chin receded, but the effect was anything but weak. She had a face like a beautiful arrowhead, and a familiar one, by golly. But before I could say, Cabissia Labris, Maud shrilly beat me to it with, "'It's Cabby with two friends! Break out a couple of ghost girls!' And then I saw it really was old home week, because I recognized my lunum boyfriend, Ilhilihis, and in the midst of all the confusion I got a nice kick out of knowing I was getting so I could tell the personality of one silver-furred muzzle from another. They reached the control divan, and Illy dumped his load, and the others let down the chest, and Cabby staggered, but shook off the two E.T.'s when they started to support her, and she looked daggers at Sid when he tried to do the same, although she's his sweet Keftian friend he'd mentioned to Bruce. She leaned straight-armed on the divan, and took two gasping breaths so deep that the ridges of her spine showed through her brown-skinned waist, and then she threw up her head and commanded, "'Wine!' While Beau was rushing it, Sid tried to take her hand again, saying, "'Sweetling, I'd never heard you call before, and knew not this pretty little fist.' But she ripped out, "'Save your comfort for the lunan.' And I looked and saw, hey Zeus, that one of Ilhilihis's six tentacles was lopped off halfway. That was for me, and going to him I fast briefed myself. Remember, he only weighs fifty pounds for all he's seven feet high. He doesn't like low sounds or to be grabbed. The two legs aren't tentacles and don't act the same. Uses them for long walks. Tentacles for leaps. Uses tentacles for close vision, too, and for manipulation, of course. Extended, they mean he's at ease. Retracted, on guard or nervous. Sharply retracted, disgusted. Greeting. Just then, one of them swept across my face like a sweet-smelling feather-duster, and I said, "'Illy man, it's been a lot of sleeps,' and brushed my fingers across his muzzle." It still took a little self-control not to hug him, and I did reach a little cluckingly for his lopped tentacle, but he wafted it away from me, and the little voice-box belted to his side squeaked, "'Naughty, naughty! Papa will fix his little old self! Greta girl, ever bandaged even a terra octopus?' I had, an intelligent one from around a quarter billion A.D., but I didn't tell him so. I stood and let him talk to the palm of my hand with one of his tentacles. I don't savvy feather talk, but it feels good, though I've often wondered who taught him English, and watched him use a couple others to whisk a sort of lunan band-aid out of his pouch and cap his wound with it. Meanwhile the satyr knelt over the bronze chest, which was decorated with little death's heads and crosses with hoops at the top and swastikas, but looking much older than Nazi, and the satyr said to Sid, "'Quick thinking, Gov, when you saw the door coming in eye and softened up gravity unrit, but could I have smelt now?' Sid touched the minor maintainer, and we all got very light, and my stomach did a flip-flop while the satyr piled on the chest the clothes and weapons that Illy had been carrying, and pranced off with it all, and carefully put it down at the end of the bar. I decided the satyr's English instructor must have been quite a character, too. Wish I'd met him. Her. It. Sid thought to ask Illy if he wanted moon-normal gravity in one sector, but my boy likes to mix, and being such a lightweight, earth-normal gravity doesn't bother him. As he said to me once, "'Would Jovian gravity bother a beetle, Greta girl?' I asked Illy about the satyr, and he squeaked that his name was Sevensee, and that he'd never met him before this operation. 
I knew the satyrs were from a billion years in the future, just as the loonies were from a billion in the past, and I thought, Cresidus, but it must have been a real big or emergency-like operation to have the spiders using those two for it, with two billion years between them. A time difference that gives you a feeling of awe for a second, you know? I started to ask Illy about it, but just then Beau came scampering back from the bar with a big red-and-black earthenware goblet of wine. We try to keep a variety of drinking tools in stock so folks will feel more at home. Cabby grabbed it from him and drained most of it in one swallow, and then smashed it on the floor. She does things like that, though Sid's tried to teach her better. Then she stared at what she was thinking about, until the white showed all around her eyes, and her lips pulled way back from her teeth, and she looked a lot less human than the two E.T.'s, just like a fury. Only a time-traveler knows how like the wild murals and engravings of them some of the ancients can look. My hair stood up at the screech she let out. She smashed a fist into the divan and cried, "'Goddess, must I see Crete destroyed, revived, and now destroyed again? It is too much for your servant.' Personally, I thought she could stand anything. There was a rush of questions at what she said about Crete. I asked one of them, for the news certainly frightened me, but she shot up her arm straight for silence, and took a deep breath and began. In the balance hung the battle. Rowing like black centipedes, the Dorian hulks bore down on our outnumbered ships. On the bright beach, masked by rocks, Sevency and I stood by the needle-gun, ready to give the black hulls silent wounds. Beside us was Ilhilihis, suited as a sea-monster. But then—then—then I saw she wasn't altogether the iron babe, for her voice broke, and she started to shake and to sob rackingly, although her face was still a mask of rage, and she threw up the wine. Sid stepped in and made her stop, which I think he'd been wanting to do all along. End of chapter 4